0: Letter thirty six of Clarissa Harlow or the History of a Young Lady Volume Nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlow or the History of a Young Lady Volume Nine by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty six. Miss Montague to John Belford Esquire. M. Hall, Friday, september fifteenth. Sir, my lord having the gout in his right hand, his lordship and lady sarah and lady betty have commanded me to inform you that before your letter came mr lovelace was preparing for a foreign tour we shall endeavour to hasten him away on the motives you suggest we are all extremely affected with the dear lady's death lady betty and lady sarah have been indisposed ever since they heard of it they had pleased themselves as had my sister and self with the hopes of cultivating her acquaintance and friendship after he was gone abroad upon her own terms her kind remembrance of each of us has renewed, though it could not heighten our regrets for so irreparable a loss. We shall order Mr. Finch, our goldsmith, to wait on you. He has our directions about the rings. They will be long, long worn in memory of the dear testatrix. Everybody is assured that you will do all in your power, to prevent further ill consequences from this melancholy affair. My lord desires his compliments to you. I am, sir, your humble servant, Charlotte Montague this collection having run into a much greater length than was wished it is proper to omit several letters that passed between colonel morden miss howe mr belford and mr hickman in relation to the execution of the lady's will etc it is however necessary to observe on this subject that the unhappy mother being supported by the two uncles influenced the afflicted father to overrule all his son's objections and to direct a literal observation of the will and at the same time to give up all the sums which he was empowered by it to reimburse himself as also to take upon himself to defray the funeral expenses mr belford so much obliges miss howe by his steadiness equity and dispatch and by his readiness to contribute to the directed collection that she voluntarily entered into a correspondence with him as the representative of her beloved friend in the course of which he communicated to her in confidence the letters which passed between him and mr lovelace and by colonel morden's consent those which passed between that gentleman and himself he sent with the first parcel of letters which he had transcribed out of shorthand for miss howe a letter to mr hickman dated the sixteenth of september in which he expresses himself as follows but i ought sir in this parcel to have kept out one letter it is that which relates to the interview between yourself and mr lovelace at mr dormer's in which mr lovelace treats you with an air of levity which neither your person your character nor your commission deserved but which was his usual way of treating every one whose business he was not pleased with I hope, sir, you have too much greatness of mind to be disturbed at the contents of this letter, should Miss Howe communicate them to you, and the rather as it is impossible that you should suffer with her on that account. Mr. Belford then excuses Mr. Lovelace as a good-natured man with all his faults, and gives instances of his still greater freedoms with himself. To this Mr. Hickman answers in his letter of the 18th. As to Mr. Lovelace's treatment of me in the letter you are pleased to mention, I shall not be concerned at it, whatever it be, i went to him prepared to expect odd behaviour from him and was not disappointed i argue to myself in all such cases as this as miss howe from her ever dear friend argues that if the reflections thrown upon me are just i ought not only to forgive them but endeavour to profit by them if unjust that i ought to despise them and the reflector too since it would be inexcusable to strengthen by anger an enemy whose malice might be disarmed by contempt and moreover i should be almost sorry to find myself spoken well of by a man who could treat as he treated a lady who was an ornament to her sex and to human nature i thank you however sir for your consideration for me in this particular and for your whole letter which gives me so desirable an instance of the friendship which you assured me of when i was last in town and which i as cordially embrace as wish to cultivate miss howe in hers of the twentieth acknowledging the receipt of the letters and papers and legacies sent with mr belford's letter to mr hickman assures him that no use shall be made of his communications but what he shall approve of he had mentioned with compassion the distresses of the harlowe family persons of a pitiful nature says she may pity them i am not one of those you i think pity the infernal man likewise while i from my heart grudge him his frenzy because it deprives him of that remorse which i hope in his recovery will never leave him at times, sir, let me tell you, that I hate your whole sex for his sake, even men of unblameable characters whom, at those times, I cannot but look upon as persons I have not yet found out. If my dear creature's personal jewels be sent up to you for sale, I desire that I may be the purchaser of them at the highest price, of the necklace and solitaire particularly. Oh, what tears did the perusal of my beloved's will cost me! But I must not touch upon the heart-piercing subject. I can neither take it up nor quit it but with execration of the man whom all the world must execrate. Mr. Belford, in his answer, promises that she shall be the purchaser of the jewels if they come into his hands. He acquaints her that the family had given Colonel Morden the keys of all that belonged to the dear departed, that the unhappy mother had, as the will allows, ordered a piece of needlework to be set aside for her, and had desired Mrs. Norton to get the little book of meditations transcribed and to let her have the original, as it was all of her dear daughter's handwriting, and as it might, when she could bear to look into it, administer consolation to herself, and that she had likewise reserved for herself her picture in the Van Dyke taste. Mr. Belford sends with this letter to Miss Howe the lady's memorandum-book, and promises to send her copies of the several posthumous letters. He tells her that Mr. Lovelace, being upon the recovery, he had enclosed the posthumous letter directed for him to Lord M., that his lordship might give it to him, or not, as he should find he could bear it. The following is a copy of that letter to mr lovelace thursday august twenty fourth i told you in the letter i wrote to you on tuesday last that you should have another sent you when i had got into my father's house the reader may observe by the date of this letter that it was written within two days of the allegorical one to which it refers and while the lady was labouring under the increased illness occasioned by the hurries and terrors into which mr lovelace had thrown her in order to avoid the visit he was so earnest to make at mr smith's so early written perhaps that she might not be surprised by death into a seeming breach of her word high as her christian spirit soars in this letter the reader has seen in volume eight letter sixty four and in other places that that exalted spirit carried her to still more divine elevations as she drew nearer to her end i presume to say that i am now at your receiving of this arrived there and i invite you to follow me as soon as you are prepared for so great a journey not to allegorize further my fate is now at your perusal of this accomplished my doom is unalterably fixed, and I am either a miserable or happy being to all eternity. If happy, I owe it solely to the divine mercy, if miserable, to your undeserved cruelty. And consider not, for your own sake, gay, cruel, fluttering, unhappy man, consider whether the barbarous and perfidious treatment I have met with from you was worthy the hazard of your immortal soul, since your wicked views were not to be affected, but by the willful breach of the most solemn vows that ever were made by man and those aided by a violence and baseness unworthy of a human creature in time then once more i wish you to consider your ways your golden dream cannot long last your present course can yield you pleasure no longer than you can keep off thought or reflection a hardened insensibility is the only foundation on which your inward tranquillity is built when once a dangerous sickness seizes you when once effectual remorse breaks in upon you how dreadful will be your condition how poor a triumph will you then find it, to have been able, by a series of black perjuries and studied baseness, under the name of gallantry or intrigue, to betray poor, unexperienced young creatures, who perhaps knew nothing but their duty till they knew you. Not one good action in the hour of languishing to recollect, not one worthy intention to revolve, it will be all reproach and horror, and you will wish to have it in your power to compound for annihilation. Reflect, sir that I can have no other motive in what I write than your good, and the safety of other innocent creatures who may be drawn in by your wicked arts and perjuries. You have not, in my wishes for future welfare, the wishes of a suppliant wife, endeavouring for her own sake as well as for yours, to induce you to reform those ways, they are wholly as disinterested as undeserved. But I should mistrust my own penitence, were I capable of wishing to recompense evil for evil if, black as your offences have been against me, I could not forgive, as I wish to be forgiven. I repeat, therefore, that I do forgive you, and may the Almighty forgive you too. Nor have I, at the writing of this, any other essential regrets than what are occasioned by the grief I have given to parents, who, till I knew you, were the most indulgent of parents, by the scandal given to the other branches of my family, by the disreputation brought upon my sex, and by the offence given to virtue in my fall as to myself you have only robbed me of what once were my favourite expectations in the transient life i shall have quitted when you receive this you have only been the cause that had been cut off in the bloom of youth and of curtailing a life that might have been agreeable to myself or otherwise as had reason to be thankful for being taken away from the evil of supporting my part of a yoke with a man so unhappy i will only say that in all probability every hour i had lived with him might have brought with it some new trouble and i am indeed through sharp afflictions and distresses indebted to you secondarily as i humbly presume to hope for so many years of glory as might have proved years of danger temptation and anguish had they been added to my mortal life so sir though no thanks to your intention you have done me real service and in return i wish you happy but such has been your life hitherto that you can have no time to lose in setting about your repentance repentance to such as have lived only carelessly and in the omission of their regular duties and who never aim to draw any poor creatures into evil is not so easy a task nor so much in our own power as some imagine how difficult a grace then to be obtained where the guilt is premeditated willful and complicated to say i once respected you with a preference is what i ought to blush to own since at the very time i was far from thinking you even a mortal man though i little thought that you or indeed any man breathing could be what you have proved yourself to be but indeed sir i have long been greatly above you for from my heart i have despised you and all your ways ever since i saw what manner of man you were nor is it to be wondered that i should be able so to do when that preference was not grounded on ignoble motives for i was weak enough and presumptuous enough to hope to be a mean in the hand of providence to reclaim a man whom i thought worthy of the attempt nor have i yet as you will see by the pains i take on this solemn occasion to awaken you out of your sensual dream given over all hopes of this nature hear me therefore o lovelace as one speaking from the dead lose no time set about your repentance instantly be no longer the instrument of satan to draw poor souls into those subtle snares which at last shall entangle your own feet seek not to multiply your offences till they become beyond the power as i may say of the divine mercy to forgive since justice no less than mercy is an attribute of the almighty tremble and reform when you read what is the portion of the wicked man from god thus it is written the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment he is cast into a net by his own feet he walketh upon a snare terrors shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet his strength shall be hunger-bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side the first-born of death shall devour his strength his remembrance shall perish from the earth and he shall have no name in the streets he shall be chased out of the world he shall have neither son nor nephew among his people they that have seen him shall say where is he he shall fly away as a dream he shall be chased away as a vision of the night his meat is the gall of asps within him he shall flee from the iron weapon and the bow of steel shall strike him through a fire not blown shall consume him the heavens shall reveal his iniquity and the earth shall rise up against him the worm shall feed sweetly on him he shall be no more remembered this is the fate of him that knoweth not god whenever you shall be inclined to consult the sacred oracles from whence the above threatenings are extracted you will find doctrines and texts which a truly penitent and contrite heart may lay hold of for its consolation may yours mr lovelace become such and may you be enabled to escape the fate denounced against the abandoned man and be entitled to the mercies of a long-suffering and gracious god is the sincere prayer of clarissa harlowe letter thirty six